I told you about this article by uh, Peter Burfine from the Federalist uh, yesterday, uh, and I would get an opportunity to go to a little bit more, a little bit more depth. It's it's positive. It gives us at least some kind of an idea of hope. Uh, um, you know that that maybe there is a light at the end of the tunnel. However, however it is that you want to phrase it, that wokeism is collapsing upon itself, and I can only hope that is the case because sometimes I do see it gaining strength, and I see more and more people losing the will to fight back against it. But Peter says it absolutely is going to collapse on itself. So let's welcome Peter Burfield now. He is a, a writer for the Federalist. He is also the author of. Um, uh, Burfine, excuse me. He is also the author of Gnostic America, a reading of contemporary American culture and religion according to Christianity's oldest heresy. Uh, Peter, good to have you on the program this morning. How are you, sir? Thank you, Bob. Thanks for having me on this morning. So I'm looking for every bit of positive news that I can get, which is why when I saw the headline on the Federalist uh, that wokeism is collapsing on itself, I immediately linked the article to my webpage and I started reading and I said, okay, now this is something we can sink our teeth into a little bit here and maybe yeah. give people a reason for some hope. So I first, I, I want you to describe what I love in your very first paragraph is that you give a definition of wokeism. A lot of people have said to me, what does it mean to be woke? Because, you know, there are a lot of different things that you can use to describe wokeism or woke, uh, you know, uh, you know or, or, you know, woke America. I think you do a tremendous job there by defining wokeism as the Gnostic rejection of nature yep. on gender, sexuality, the laws of economics, energy, race, speech, and rationality itself. That is as deep yep. of a definition, I think, that I have heard. Um, t- tell me how you come to that. Okay, so, I mean, this is, you know, that's the theme of my book, of course. That came out in 2014, and I've been observing this, you know, since the 90s. But mm-hmm. basically, we are in a Gnostic moment in history. I mean, there's there's been a decline in Christianity and religiosity, and there has needed to be a replacement for that. And the replacement has been this rising Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is the rejection of nature. It is the rebellion against nature. Because nature it, it, it imposes upon us all these laws and rules, like like that there is a gender, or that borders are a necessary thing, or for instance, the law of scarcity in economics. You know, like you, you can't just print off money forever, and 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 everybody can thrive on it. Um, but this one after another, there are these certain laws of nature that Gnosticism says, hey, if we just you know, dream up a better place or dream something above and beyond the, the current world order, we can create a better, a better way. And like I say in the article, that you can't rebel against nature. There's, I, I brought up this old quote by Horace, a Roman poet from the ancient world, who said, you can, you can chase out nature with a pitchfork. You can say, oh, there's no gender binary. You can say there's no such thing as women. That's just a social construct. But nature is going to come back. <laughs> you can say two plus two equals five until you're trying to build a bridge based on that kind of math, and the bridge collapses. Nature will always come back, and that's the hope. The hope is that nature is not just going to sit by and say, okay, you guys do whatever you want. Nature is going to come back and, and prove us wrong. Peter Burfind is my guest. He is a writer for The Federalist. He is also an author. The book we're talking about right now, and this article was uh, was largely taken from or, or, a, or, or a build-out from, is Gnostic America, a reading of contemporary American culture and religion according to Christianity's oldest heresy. Peter, uh, by the way, it's a fantastic definition, and those are great, uh, those are great explanations. Tell us about the liar's paradox that the left uh-huh. finds itself in. 
So this, I mean, the left has been dealing with the liar's paradox ever since it arose in the 19th century. And that is, how can you develop a theory? How can you invent a theory that is said to explain everything? And if we go deeper, we could say that it's really the left trying to assume the role of God himself. So it's really a God complex. But they, you know, it could be Kant, it could be Hegel, it could be, well, let's use Marx. And he's got his materialistic, materialistic dialectic. Well, you invent this grand theory that explains everything. Well, how do you yourself not fall under that theory? And the whole thing kind of collapses. So the liar's paradox is, if a Cretan says all Cretans are liars, is he to be believed? If the answer is yes, then how is, how is he himself not a liar? If the answer is no, well, then his whole theory is garbage. And the, the classic example of this right now is in critical race theory. So... And this is another article I wrote at the Federalist, if people want to link up with it. It's linked in my article. But so critical race theory was, is, a, is a subcategory of uh, critical theory, which itself was written by, guess what kind of people in the mid-20th century? White, male, usually he- uh, heterosexual men. Um, how, so the entire theory of critical theory is that People, everything people do is only to further their own power, further their own advantage. Well, how do the how do the theorists of critical race theory how do they not fall under that same that same dictum or that same verdict? So, for instance, in today's world, the, the several and it, this this is what my whole article is about is how people are starting to see that that just can't stand and that cognitive dissonance between the theory and and people falling under the theory is causing a lot of even liberals to say, wait a minute, this isn't working out. So, for instance, critical race theory says everything white males do is to further their advantage. Well, who's benefiting from that? The people benefiting from it are white CEOs, uh, a lot of you know upper-middle-class human resources managers, um, you know, whites on TikTok who are, <laughs> who are trying to virtue signal. Meanwhile, what does the theory say? The theory says that... that Blacks are in an inescapable order of things that they can't advance in. You know, a completely disempowering theory. So on one hand, it suppresses blacks and says, oh, you can't succeed in America. You have no chance. You have no agency. You have no power to to improve your lot in this country. And meanwhile, who are the people benefiting? White CEOs, white tech owners, billionaires, um, and a bunch of human resources managers who who got their degrees in, in race studies. So, so that just proves the theory correct. That I mean, critical race theory says whites do everything to advance their own, their own, their own situation. Well, critical race theory is actually bearing that out. <laughs> so, to me, I think people are starting to see that and wake up to that. Yeah, it really is. A, it really is a paradox, uh, and that's a great explanation. We're talking to Peter Burfine from the Federalist. He is also an author. Um, let's talk about this Substack article that you reference as well. Uh, yes, things are really as bad as you heard, uh, because this yeah. is a great account of a teacher um, who is woke uh, and who supports wokeism and everything that goes along with it, but yet finds herself um, in in a bit of a different. Or I'm sorry, himself. This may be a male. I guess it's a male. It says Wesley. He's an anonymous writer. I. I, I... Oh. Didn't quite get the pronoun. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well said. Well said. Anyway, but he, uh, th- this particular teacher finds uh, finds something different, uh, uh, even even though they support wokeism. Tell us that story. Yeah. So so this this teacher was was running a summer program, and according to the rules of the summer program, 
if any African American signed up for the program, they were not to be, you know, bumped from the program, even if they didn't show up. And that was because of equity. That the rules of equity say that, you know, they, they come from a disadvantaged situation, so, so don't boot them out of the class if they don't show. Um, well, so meanwhile, nobody's showing up to the class, and so the, the teacher is saying, well, why don't we bring in some of the people on the waiting list? And everybody's saying, no, you can't do that because, um, you, you, because of equity. You, have to, you, 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 you can't just kick these people out of class because they, their whole life has been that, and so you, we will not kick anybody out of the class. So the person ended up having two people in their class and all these people on a waiting list, and, and they're even under, beginning to understand, like, how, how does this help anybody? And too bad they can't stand back and look at the whole, the whole premise of leftism as a big paradox. And, and you know, I, I think that, you know, it's the whole idea that, that you get mugged by reality. As you, as you get older, you start to realize that reality is what it is. And it's better to work with reality than fight against it, and you'll, you'll have far, far more success in life. You quote that teacher as saying, I can't keep pretending these ridiculous DEI schemes aren't hurting the children we owe so much to. They are. It's happening right now. Right. And I and, and 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 I agree with that. And by the way, I call DEI D-I-E because it spells die, and it's more appropriate because it basically kills every institution that it is supposed oh, to yeah. be helping. Um, yeah. But but t- tell me about the, the future. Since you, your article is headlined um, that wokeism is collapsing on itself, tell me about the future of DEI when it is being implemented implemented now by virtually every public school and every corporation and every small business in America. I, I just think as one by one, you start to get fallout from this program, you know, like the example of this anonymous writer uh, or this anonymous experience on, on Substack. But I think one by one, you're just, it seems like every other day you're finding a new Substack writer, or a new author who's saying like, I, I just can't go along with this, whether it's, um, you know, the, um, I can't remember her name, the tennis player who's, who's a feminist and saying, you know, this, this whole transgenderism is eliminating the oh, idea Mar- Martina of... Martina Navratilova, who's a, who's a yeah, gay yeah. feminist. Yeah, she's a gay exactly, woman. Exactly, exactly. And yet she is so, so, she is so uh, put off by this trans movement. Yeah, so you, if you eliminate the idea of gender and sex, tra- sex, sex you, you eliminate the whole concept of same-sex attraction and what it means to be a woman and a, and a feminist, therefore. And it, it just, that, that can't hold. Leftism, this, this whole intersectional idea that oh, all the all the marginalized are going to get together. Well, it can't work when when everybody sees each other as mutually marginalized, marginalizing of the other. And so we conservatives can kind of sit at the sidelight and, and eat popcorn and watch the fireworks as leftism implodes on itself because it has to. The, the difficulty here, Pete, we're talking with Peter Burfind, an author and uh, writer. Uh, his piece on the Federalist uh, headlined, The Wokeism is Collapsing on Itself, is linked right now to my webpage, which is alwaysright.us. You can read it for yourself when the show's over or the interview's over. Um, you know, the, the problem with it is, is how can DEI not create anything but more anger, more animosity, more, uh, animosity, more resentment, between the races, between straights and gays, between you know uh, traditional uh, family value people and the LGBTQ XYZ experiment, uh, how can it do anything but that when it is telling people who are straight white males, as you point out, that you are not going to be given an, a fair opportunity? We can discriminate against you based on race and sex, all the things that the Civil Rights Act says we cannot do based on those things. How does it create anything more than or anything other than more resentment and thus worsen the problem? Right, and, and you realize that, I mean, like I said before, it's, it's all about white, whites advancing. It, it's really furthering the white savior complex, right? 
you know, the only solution to the, the problem of race is for white for whites to become anti-racist and whites to make the changes. You know, how does that not feed into the white savior complex? But they need that. They need that. You know, upper middle class whites who are, who are running all these programs, they need that grievances, that, 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 that sense of alienation so that they can thrive on that. You know, that, that's, that's, I mean, ultimately it goes back to a Gnostic thing. Gnostics view the world as a fundamentally broken, broken system, and that, that sets themselves up as a savior. You know, you set up the world as a broken place, and then you yourself become a savior. And, you know, I'm a Christian, so I believe there's no doubt where God ends and I begin, and I'm not God. Well, Gnostic is a bit, so he fuzzifies that line. It says, well, you can be God, you can be the, the savior of the world. <laughs> and that that is, that's going to collapse on itself. So they have to they have to further and perpetuate that sense of grieving. Peter, last thing, tell us about the true victim. You you reference a case in Minneapolis and identify the true. Oh victim. man, tell us that story. Yeah. Oh, the, the story there was there, there was another you know shooting in Minneapolis, and the story was there's a, a, a black male who and for whatever reason was in a in an apartment and and uh, holding a. a woman kidnapped or kidnapping a woman holding her hostage and uh get he actually shot at a wall a couple times and eventually the police came and there were you know there was a stand up standoff for like six hours and they were trying to get him you know to, to stop what he's doing and eventually they had to shoot the guy well of course that brought out all the usual characters and you know it's just like cue the narrative and everybody comes in and you have all these middle class white people coming out and, and protesting the supposed police shooting well, lo and behold, in the middle of it, the, f- the female, who is a, a person of color, comes out and starts screaming at him, and, you know, just basically saying, what are you talking about? This is not a George Floyd situation. You know, I was the victim. I was the one that was being held up, and the police actually saved me. And then, so you got this woman of color, who is the, who is the true victim, just crying out to these people and saying, why don't you look at my situation and all these you know, middle-class, middle-aged white men are, are talking to her and saying, you know, well, I'm sorry, it must have been an awful, awful experience, but, you know, shut up and, and just accept your role in, in our psychodrama. You know, it's more, about their, it's more about their psychodrama than it is about dealing with an actual victim. And I'm, I'm telling you, more and more people are starting to realize people are going to be waking up to this. Yeah, well, we hope they are. Uh, and and that story, by the way, was awful. You you just heard the 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 anger and the and the sadness and the fury in yeah. the woman's voice as she screamed at those protesters for for not oh. considering her and her child and the the danger that they were in, all because they had to go on in advance, as you say. You know the narrative. You know, cue the narrative. Right, right. Um, yep. So, la- last thing I want to ask you is to circle back to the very beginning when we talked about your terrific definition of the Gnostic re- re- rejection of nature on all of those issues. Yeah, w- where is all of this coming from? I, I, I think a lot of us like to think we, we try to boil it down and simplify it to party. This is what the Democrats have come up with. They've come up with DEI. They've come up with wokeism. They've come up with all of these things. But it, it's it's deeper than that. Um, it's it like is. talking about individual you know writers and theorists from decades gone by that are now just kind of being brought to modern times. I mean, how, how did we get to the place where we are, where wokeism has dominated so many uh, uh, elements of our culture right now? Yeah, I mean, this is a long story that goes all the way back. Like I argue in my book, it goes back to a Christian heresy. I mean, yeah. modern leftism is a species of Christian heresy. And basically what it is, is, is I would argue, in the last 200 years, as, as philosophy has eliminated the need for God, there has needed to be a replacement religion in, in place of especially the Christian God. And 
basically what has replaced it is the belief that that the self or humanity or even history is a god that's replacing the Christian god. And what that ultimately does is it deifies or divinizes the human person. And that, that to me, is where everything, where everything boils down to. It's really a spiritual thing. I mean, it, and, and it, I mean, leftism is a species of Christian heresy, and, and that's something people need to understand. It's the belief that they are a Christ. They are a, they are a God. It's a God complex applied to a political movement. Very well said and uh, very well received. Peter Burfind, author uh, of Gnostic America, a reading of contemporary American culture and religion according to Christianity's oldest heresy. Also, author of A Year Crowned with Goodness, another one. Uh, I don't have those books linked, but I have his article linked in The Federalist right now to alwayswrite.us. Click it and read it and uh, read more from Peter Burfind. Peter, thank you for coming on. We appreciate it. Very well explained. uh, And keep up your good work, sir. Thanks so much, Bob. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.